Hey everyone, I'm P. Welcome back to The Change Paradox. It took me 45 minutes to get out of bed this morning. Now, the story I'm telling myself is that where I live here in Portland, it's dark and gloomy and probably cold outside, and you know I'm just so comfortable and warm in bed. Some of that, I'm sure, is rooted in, in truth. It's cold and dark outside. What has become more real for me, and I gather maybe for a lot of you, is that the bed has become increasingly comfortable as the world outside of it has become increasingly toxic. It's hard to get out of bed in the morning because of just how overwhelming everything else is. In that spirit, Dodge's guest today was a welcome hit on the head for me. According to his website, Dave Rico is a psychotherapist, teacher, workshop leader, and writer who works in Santa Barbara and San Francisco, California, and you can find him online at DaveRico.com. That's D-A-V-E-R-I-C-H-O dot com. He's written 23 books, the first published in 1991, many addressing hashtag adulting before it was a meme. His How to Be an Adult books anchor a catalog of incredible resources on love and relationships and psychological and spiritual integration. But Dodge landed on Dave's 2019 book, Five True Things, A Little Guide to Embracing Life's Big Challenges. That title might be true when describing the physical dimensions of the book itself, but in spirit, it's about as accurate as me splashing around in the bathtub and calling myself a surfer. The book contains wisdom by the barrel. We are so very lucky to have Dave on this show, letting us peel away at the five true things with his direct guidance. This book is about life's big challenges, says though right there on the spine. And as such, it's not always rosy. And what happens when we take a glass of ice water to the face? We wake up. So here you go, Dodge Ray and Dave Rico, exploring five true things. Hey, Dave. Welcome. I've been chuckling to myself for about 15 minutes um, about how I've been reading recently about how things do not always go according to plan. There you go. Right? Fortunately, it leaves room for synchronicity, I understand. Here's, <laughs> Here's our, our first, first example. example. <laughs> Aren't we lucky to have yeah. resources? <laughs> well, again, I really appreciate your being here. Yeah, no problem. I'm going to tell the story in a little more detail in the Afterthoughts episode with with Pete, but um, it occurred to me, looking at my calendar, that it was it's almost exactly 15 years ago that we had a chance to be together in Rome um, to wow. the week. Yeah, yeah, a long time, and um, a good memory. Yeah, it's a great memory for me too, and been following your work since even well before that thankfully you've been at this a minute right. and you've certainly helped me and a whole lot of my clients for a long time thank you one of the reason i'm really grateful to have you uh not just as a guest but an early guest on this podcast is because i think of you as having a particularly wonderful gift for finding words and clarity for the utterly ineffable in my mind like you have a way of just kind of putting it succinctly and helping me understand things that I could only have a sense of before that. Sure. We were talking about 
Um, I, I think of you as this as somebody who would probably have a lot of wonderful angles on this idea of the change paradox, looking at kind of the, the more mysterious elements of change. And I loved your choice of this particular book, Five True Things, A Little Guide to Embracing Life's Big Challenges, as a way to take a look at that. Um, as far as I can remember in your career of, what, 23, 24 books, it's the only one I'm aware of that distills another one that goes back about 15 years and distills the work of your also wonderful book, um, The Five Things We Cannot Change and the Happiness We Find by Embracing Them. And so I thought I'd just start with, tell me, um, this must be really important material to you to go back and, and revisit it in this way. Actually, I would say that of all the practices I've ever taken on, the unconditional yes to the way things are has been the most helpful of all, barring none. And so uh, this new book is, uh, as you say, a distillation of the original one. And this is my uh, second or third most popular book. Hmm. So hmm. I think other people have also appreciated that. There's something about um, changing our focus from doing work on ourselves to improve ourselves to accepting ourselves as we are and accepting reality as it is, accepting other people as they are, that really has to be the first step. And so, uh, of course, it's taking me a whole lifetime to do just the first step, but uh, <laughs> that's how it goes. I mean, there's yeah. nothing in us that resists reality as it is because it cancels out our magical thinking, our mind-manipulated uh, expectations, our wish to be in control. So much of what we carry around in our ego gets disabled by this radical acceptance of things as they are. So this doesn't cancel it, but it um, at least gets us on the right track, as far as I can see. And I got the title, um, you know, The Serenity to Accept the Things We Cannot Change, Courage to Change the Things We Can, Wisdom to Know the Difference. I consider that a, a highly mature prayer, something to live by. And I, I keep going to it on a daily basis. I love that you started your book there because it, it really captures, well, a number of important truths. First, that, that there is serenity in accepting the things we cannot change. That it's phrased as serenity, not as, you know, defeat or putting our energy somewhere more useful. It, it is phrased from the beginning as serenity. And it's naming that it takes courage to continue to try to apply ourselves where we can, and that it takes real wisdom to know what's what. You're now naming the first paradox, because it would seem as if one couldn't be serene accepting the unacceptable, unacceptable by ego, which wants to be in control of things. Um, 
But that's the first par paradox, that we actually become more uh, content and serene when we sit in the saddle in the direction the horse is going, rather than the opposite. And the particular uh, things we cannot change are the ones that fit for all of us, as you know, you know, the five that I outlined. Let's take just a quick moment to, to talk about ego, because I think that will be a word that it's already come up twice today and it'll keep coming up. It's such a vital concept and, and so broadly misunderstood, but also difficult to understand, right? Sometimes ego in our normal vernacular is used in terms of, you know, arrogance or something. And you don't mean that. You're talking about something else. Can you just, so that as the word comes up, people are familiar with it. What do you mean by ego? And why does it want control? Well, actually, the way I'm using ego will include some arrogance, but I'll explain. Mm -hmm. um, so first of all, ego is the Latin word for I. So I am. That's Latin way of saying that is ego sum. I am. Now, this ego can be, as Freud described it, the healthy center and guide of our intelligent decision-making based on reasonable assessment, setting goals, and fulfilling the goals. It's our ego that helps us do that. So that's the healthy ego. But in addition, there's what people call the big ego, what Jung calls the inflated ego. This is the one in us that is a mindset. And this mindset, from my point of view, includes the following characteristics. The need to be in control, the belief that I'm better than other people, that's the arrogance. The sense of entitlement to special treatments because I'm a special person. And the special treatment includes abrogating the givens of life. So yes, one of the givens of life is that people are not always loving and loyal, but I'm entitled to have everyone be loving and loyal to me. So this form of ego is narcissistic, <clears throat> wanting, putting itself first, shall we say. That's what's meant by the big ego. Big ego. So it's control, entitlement, arrogance, and its hidden name is fear that all wind up just being like everybody else, which is what we actually are. Yes. I am just another human. I happen to have certain gifts and limits, as do you. And when I'm okay with that, that would be a yes to a humble stance. And then the alternative is this big ego that would um, scoff at the virtue of humility. What is humility? 
accepting reality as it is with all its limits and all its wonderful opportunities. I think of us as, you know, if we are a spirit form here in the world, we, we have to have a physical form, a body, in order to, you know, function on this planet, but also, in a sense, a psychological form to interact with this planet. And that's the hopefully healthy ego. But additionally, we all have got an inflated sense of separateness that can lead us into this fear, arrogance, control, and entitlement. That The inflated separateness is is a wish, it sounds like, to create safety, but in fact actually creates the suffering it means to avoid. That's a very good way of putting it. So it's the opposite. So it's, an, so it's ironic. Yeah, it is quite ironic. Here we are thinking that, oh, this is the best way to be, and actually it's the worst way to be. Very much so. Okay, so that, that helps because I think it's going to give folks some context for the part of all of us, not just our broken badness, but our, our natural wish for safety helps us resist these five givens of life that you're naming in these two books so beautifully that are really poignant. I mean, the longer I've sat with this book, like really absorbing it, um, I, the more it, I mean, really brings up a lot of feeling for me. Uh, around these these five givens, so let's let's jump into those and start to talk about yeah, what have you named here? Okay, so first of all, there are thousands of givens. Mm-hmm. For instance, I live here in California, so one of the givens is that there might be an earthquake. Right. Whereas where you live, let's say there might be a hurricane, tornado, or something. Yeah, that's not. That's unlikely here. So you have some givens, and I have givens, based on where we live. Then we have givens of our personality. I might be more introverted, you might be more extroverted, etc. So what I did was I looked for the, the givens that apply to all of us, and that go with just being human, among other humans. And so I came up with these five. First, that everything changes and ends. So when I'm trying to keep everything the same, I'm acting against the natural way of things. Secondly, things don't always go according to plan. So when I'm trying to control everything that happens, I'm barking up the wrong tree. Third, pain is part of life. So when I think it shouldn't happen to me, I'm different. I can smoke and I don't have to worry about cancer. When I have that frame of mind, I'm acting contrary to the given that... uh, Pain is part of everyone's life. And that sometimes we bring the pain upon ourselves, and other times it just happens no matter what we do. And next, people are not loyal and loving all the time. So when I demand that everybody in relation to me be loyal and loving, and not take 
take for granted that, you know, sometimes people fail us, you know, like the hymn says, when other helpers fail and friends are few. There's a hymn with that line in it. Um, and yeah, that's what we would believe, that that could happen. Now, the big ego will say, well, that can't happen to me. And if it does, I have to teach them a lesson so they don't do it again. Oh, yes. The main, uh, the favorite sport of the big ego is retaliation. Um, and then finally, life isn't always fair. Sometimes it's generous, sometimes it's fair, and sometimes it's unfair. So if I demand that everything be fair, then I am uh, not acting in accord with the laws of the universe. Now, interestingly, some people have designed a religious view that, in effect, numbs or uh, reduces the thud of each of these givens. So, for instance, you could say, well, it's true that things change and end, but God never changes, and I can trust that there's an eternity. So I'm not hit so hard by things change and end. Secondly, things don't go according to plan, that's true, but there's a divine plan, and that never fails. Third, suffering is part of life, but suffering brings redemption, so it's not so bad. Things are not always fair, but wait, there's a judgment, a last judgment, when God will punish the evil and reward the good. So that makes it not so bad that things aren't fair, because there's somebody who's going to make it fair. And then finally, people are not always loving and kind, but God is love. So you could still have all those religious beliefs, but they shouldn't be used to reduce the wallop of the givens of life, because ultimately, these givens are exactly what we need to become people of courage, compassion, and character. These givens make our life meaningful. They give our life depth. If it weren't like this on this planet, if nothing ever changed or end, if everything was exactly fair, it would be a very boring uh, life. And it would have no challenges, would have no opportunities for the important work that humans are here to do, which is to care about each other and to work out their path toward enlightenment with diligence. So we shouldn't think of these givens as penalties that have been hoisted on us because we're bad. We want to think of them as the actual ingredients for human growth. Every one of them helps us grow. And so there again is the paradox of it looks like they're not in my favor, but actually they are. They're more like the scalpel of a surgeon than the 
club of a criminal. So Carl Jung talks about the unconditional yes being what unlocks Givens. Uh, there's a lovely line in your book, yes is the brave ally of serenity, no is the sacred accomplice of anxiety. Yeah, the opposite of yes is not no in this instance. The opposite of yes is control. Try to get in control so these things won't happen to you. Or believe you're entitled that, you know, those are only supposed to happen to other people, not to me. A big part of the yes is anything can happen to me that can happen to anybody else. There's a poem by the Roman poet Terence, nothing human is alien from me. In other words, whatever can happen to any human could also happen to me. What a wonderful example of humility. I highlighted that in your book. I remember it well. And I, I remember that you talked about that, I believe, around point where you're saying the ultimate given of all the givens is that anything can happen to anybody. Yes. And that's the yes, the unconditional that's yes. That's the yes to the <laughs> unconditional yes. So as we come back to that unconditional yes, I can hear the part where it's, it's good for us. So as, as one enters the book, right, the first, at first blush, it thinks, it feels like it's already a contribution to say, listen, everybody, you're driving yourselves crazy fighting the unfightable fight. It's, it's ridiculous to imagine you're ever going to change the fact that everything changes and ends and things do not always go according to plan. Life's not always fair, et cetera, right? You're making yourself nuts. You could at least get to a more peaceful place if you can come to some kind of acceptance around that. But you through the book, make the subtler, more difficult point that it's not just a calmer state of mind to stop fighting with these things. It's the only place where we really grow. It's only at some level in accepting that suffering, or at least accepting the pain and not suffering with it, you know, not fighting against it in the way we normally would. That that brings us to, you just named them a moment ago, it was compassion, uh, character, and a third. So what I wondered is like, how many would hear that in the felt sense would be a little bit like, well, okay, so it's, it's good for us like broccoli, maybe, you know, but how long can I keep this up? You know, <laughs> how long can I really uh, continue to say yes to things this painful? Especially when it like, they're stated quite beautifully and plainly and matter-of-factly, but there were moments where I wanted to kind of almost laugh and other times where I wanted to cry at how understated they are. Life is not always fair is a great general statement, but say that to somebody from the Black Lives Matter movement or the Me Too movement or to somebody whose child is locked in a cage on the border right now, right? Life is not always fair is a vast understatement, and yet exactly true, right? Or that pain is part of life. Well, gosh, when we lose somebody we absolutely love, um, it's just heart-wrenching. The, now you're talking about, now you're bringing up the spiritual dimension of the yes. It works in the context of a calling. I say yes, and that leads me to now what? And that now what shows me my calling to make whatever contribution I can make <clears throat> to the world around me, 
that will change things that are able to be changed. So in the examples you gave, like um, people who were refugees and so forth, so yes, it's unfair that it's like this, and the now what leads me to what political action can I engage in that will help alleviate the part of the problem that is changeable. So the yes is not stoical, stoical in the sense of just being indifferent and don't take any action. This is a combination of I say yes to the part that can't be changed, and I at the same time say yes to the part that invites my courage to make whatever change I can so that I help ameliorate the part of it that is workable. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's never just, it, it doesn't end, it's not yes, period. It's yes, comma, now what, comma, what is my calling? Yeah. That's what makes it whole instead of just stoical. Good. So this is getting at a piece I definitely want to ask more about. You're right. A lack of fairness makes us more zealous to fight for justice. Every one of them does that. And so I was just sitting with kind of the 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 wisdom to know the difference part of this ends up being in how do we both accept the inevitability of unfairness while working zealously against it? It's not easy. But I think what I hear you saying is that at some level we start with kind of, okay, turning around in the saddle. Here I am facing forward, which is life has got a lot of this in it for some of us more than others, unfairly. <laughs> and now that I'm facing forward in this saddle, you know, are there reins I can pick up? Is there any influence I can exert? Can I fight with passion for, for what's possible, knowing that it will never be perfect? Yeah, and can I be fair in all my dealings? Mm -hmm. Life is not always fair, but I can be fair. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Suffering is part of life, but I won't cause suffering. Things don't go according to plan, but I will always look to make a new plan that works for me and others. People are not loving and loyal all the time, but I'll be loving and loyal all the time. Yeah. And by the way, I include some of this in my uh, YouTube, which is free to watch. If you go to Dave Rico, R-I-C-H-O, and the name of it is Love, and I did a, a presentation that fits with this topic that we're on. So if people want to watch that, pulls a lot of this together regarding relationships. Thank you for mentioning that. The other thing I wanted to say is that every one of these five brings up grief. And when you asked, you know, why would we resist saying yes to these? It's because we, we get it that everyone will require us visiting the most unappealing feeling in our psyche namely grief, sadness about <clears throat> how things are, anger that it's like this, fear that it'll never change. So when we say things will end, that's grief. We're going to grieve at the end. Didn't go according to plan, we're going to grieve that plans didn't work out, etc. 
they all bring us into a grief. That's the psychological work. And then they all lead to a now what and what is my calling. That's the spiritual side of the work. Mm. So I see the yes as integrating our psychological and spiritual work. I love your line. We do not control because we are selfish or demanding. We control because we are afraid of grief. Every one of these represents a loss we can't escape. Yeah. We can avoid some of them, but sooner or later, every one of these will enter our lives. And there's grief. Oh, absolutely. Every one of these five will enter all our lives. Yeah. You know, the dimension of this that feels unfair, and now I'm speaking humorously, of course, is that um, we weren't asked before we came in to life on this planet if we agreed with the ground rules. And these givens are the ground rules. You see, I lived in Connecticut and I moved here to California. So my choice to come here included an implicit agreement that once I got here, there might be an earthquake. That, as far as I know, doesn't happen in Connecticut. But I made the agreement within myself to go along with this particular given that goes with coming here. If I was born here and moved to Connecticut, I would say to myself, David, are you aware that when you get there, there might be a hurricane? There definitely will be a hurricane. And are you going to be able to deal with it? Yes. So, in effect, I agreed with the given. But the other givens, the five that I mentioned, we never agreed on those. We just got here and then we looked around and we said, oh, it's like this here. Mm -hmm. Now what do I do? <laughs> I mean, I'm speaking humorously, but you get the concept. Well, except the problem is that nobody pulls you aside to say, hey, just so you know, it's like this here. You can't help it. It's not your fault. It's going to happen. And so a lot of us walk around believing it is our fault, you know, that if we have to grieve, we've, we've done something wrong. We've, we failed to exert mm. control somewhere along the way where we should have, you know, mm -hmm. um, which brings us to a huge piece of this, right? I mean, this is where we get stuck in this process is imagining that we should be able to control outcomes so that we can control feelings at some level, right? We should be able to control that, that grief. I'm not saying you're saying that. I'm saying the rest of us, life tells us that, especially here in the West. All of us. Yeah. Very little joining of our experience. It's a whole lot of managing it. Mm -hmm. escape it, control it, will your way through it. And I think that's a piece of what this podcast ultimately comes from for me is me saying, wait a minute, guys, like our idea of change, whether it's change that we seek or the change that inevitably finds us, we, we keep on applying kind of egoic will to this and we're missing it. We're not, we're not getting to the deeper growth that goes with real change. We may be able to tick off some goals for a little while, but it ultimately isn't going where we need to go. So back to control. Let me, let me read you a, a neat quote, if I could, from your, your book. You said, the opposite of yes is not no, it is control. This is something you just brought up a moment ago. Behind that controlling impulse is fear. The fear that we will have to feel something painful. Every given insults the ego that wants to believe it has full control. Yes is acceptance. Control is refusal. 
We can learn to accept the fact that we are sometimes helpless to stop an unwelcome change in our lives. That acceptance paradoxically ushers in serenity. Trying to stay fully in control of what will happen to us uh, makes us opponents to life's facts and maintains our stress. Our life is a seesaw tottering between terror and control as long as we stutter at the word yes. I love that last line. Our life is a seesaw tottering between terror and control as long as we stutter at the word yes. But how in the world do we stop controlling everything? It hurts. Like I believe everything we're talking about in the next headache I have, I'll probably reach for Advil. Is that the wrong thing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I'm going to try and fix that thing. Well, there's nothing wrong with Advil if it's going to work. Right. But, the problem is not um, that part. It's that it doesn't always work. And then what? Yeah. Well, when you ask about, you know, being in control, there's no real answer to it. It's just um, years of training in fear that we might have to feel things that are too much for us to bear. And actually, that could be true for some people. It could be true that some people are so wounded that it would hurt them to go through a full experience of grief. But we could also keep practicing. And the way to do the practicing is continually to let go of all the illusions that we carry around. Let me give an example of one of the illusions, which I would also call a magical belief. And I'll express it uh, in the healthy way first and then say more. Happiness is not a reward and pain is not a punishment. So for many centuries, people thought that if you had a terrible accident or you found yourself with a terrible illness, this was God punishing you for something. Even in the time of plague of the Black Death in the 14th century, people believed that the plague was happening because of their sins. So deep in the most primitive part of the psyche is that belief. Now, that's the opposite of the actual, shall we say, uh, more rational sense, which is that anything can happen to anybody, and good people have bad things happen to them, and bad people have good things happen to them, and it's just not true that the only people who have bad things happen to them are the bad people, and vice versa with the good. So when we let go of a belief like that, we retrain our minds in the direction of sanity rather than superstition. Mm. And I see those two as, the, as opposites. The more you say yes to the way things are, the faster do these magical beliefs erode from your psyche. Well, it seems in a really vital antidote to shame, too. Because if we, if we really yes. believe happiness is a reward and, and pain is a punishment, right? Every time we're hurting, we, we have to wonder what we've done wrong. How do, what have I done yeah. to deserve this? Uh, and exactly. either we 
fight in some entitled way that says I didn't deserve it because I've been a good boy. Um, so the universe is screwing me and we end up stuck in a resentment kind of spin. Or we say, well, I must have done something wrong or I wouldn't be feeling this way, so I must be bad. That's all magical thinking. Yeah. That's all the choice for shame. Yeah. And many of us have been trained in early life to feel this shame. We were ashamed because we were not doing what our parents or teachers or whoever wanted us to do. They weren't making room for the given that kids disobey sometimes. And one kid is not as smart as the other one in the classroom, etc. And none of that was supposed to be about shame. It was supposed to be, oh, that's just one of the givens. Well, the way a lot of child rearing works, then it kind of makes a lot of sense that we would learn that, at least at a felt sense, that if I'm feeling bad, it must be because I'm getting punished because I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do in class, for example, or I, you know, I bit my sister and now I'm sitting in the corner. Right. That's the primitive mindset based on the concept of revenge. Hmm. Somebody's getting back at me because I did wrong. Right. And that comes from the most primitive part of the psyche. That's the part that's in the inflated ego, that was embraced by the inflated ego. But all of us have it in us to go to that revenge place. You know, he hit me, so I'll hit him back. She didn't give me what I want, so I won't give her what she wants. And the fact that we have such a primitive orientation in us, because revenge is the most primitive of all the human impulses, shows us that we did need spiritual teachers who came along every once in a while in the human story to help us see an alternative. Who are these people? Buddha, Christ, St. Francis. Gandhi, Martin Luther King, Dalai Lama, they, they presented a program that's the opposite of retaliation. So instead of retaliating, go to your golden rule and only do to others what you'd have them do to you, no matter what they did to you. Or love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, instead of hate them back. Right. So we have it in us to make a commitment to that other way of living. And we can say yes or no to it. Mm -hmm. You can say yes to, I'm going to stick with the primitive street way of doing things. Or no, I, I feel something I feel a conversion of life happening in me that makes me not want to do that, that makes me want to be loving toward others, no matter how they are toward me. Now you're in the spiritual realm. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful uh, completion of the practice of yes, because now you've said yes to the spiritual potential that was always in you. It was in all those guys in the Godfather movies, but they rejected it over and over again. Mm. And we can do that 
Or we can say, wait a minute, I want to go to this alternative style. What a paradox again, because it seems like this makes us weaklings. But as St. Paul says, they call us weak, but behold, we are strong. They call us dying, but behold, we live. Mm. And it's often from the religious quarter that we get these kind of messages. So we do want to appreciate that. It's touching that, that life keeps offering these um, throughout the centuries. And it's also poignant to see how many of the followers can still turn it back into the egoic way of understanding, right? So this is true of all the religions, but for a moment to pick on Christianity, uh, some really hold that loving heart of Jesus. Uh, and some will say, I can turn the other cheek because God will get him in the end. You know, it's got that sort of like, it gives me great satisfaction yeah. to know that that jerk won't be in heaven next to me. Um, yeah. Uh, Very good way. Of right. Yeah. I, I can, es I can still escape this with some mental gymnastics. The other part that's really touching is to hear as you're describing this, right. As you're getting to a place where, Accepting these givens in a way that lets me do the spiritual work brings me not only to serenity in this realm, but more and more to a, a place where I am a, a vessel of, of a, a love that, that comes from beyond my ego, right? I am, I am an expression mm -hmm. of that, that universal love. And literally, yes. as, as I'm understanding you saying this, and as I'm reading that, my thought is, aha, so if I can get that far, then it won't hurt anymore, right? <laughs> it can't be that kind of a strategy. I know, I know. Yeah. But it hurts, Dave. Right. <laughs> so yeah. It hurts. Yeah. You would only be able to choose it if it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Not that, oh, this will make life easier. Because obviously it won't. And you could wind up crucified. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. yeah, how well did There's it go no for promises. those guys? Yeah. Yep, or shot. There's no promise. Yeah, or, or shot like Gandhi and, and King. Um, yeah, and how, exactly. Yeah. So it's it's not going to be that kind of reward. It's a it's a much more nuanced, complex, richly beautiful reward, but it's not as simple as now you're back in control. I, I was joking with Pete before you came on that um, that I must have gone through an entire highlighter pen, even in this beautiful distilled little book, Um just trying to keep, I mean, after a while, it was, I might as well highlight what I, what I don't mean to read again, um, which, which wasn't much. Um, but one of the ones that got a particular amount of ink was this one. Um, <laughs> it was, this was on control. To let go of control will mean that we cannot protect ourselves from any of the givens. Control of one of our favorite ways of running from life as it is. I like this in particular. Control is so deeply ingrained in illusion that we even think we can let go of control simply by wanting to. <laughs> we do not let go of control. We let go of the belief that we have control. The rest is grace. The givens of life are the tools the universe provides for that lesson. So tell us about grace. When I hear you reading from my book, I think to myself, my goodness, did I really write that? Did I write that? Yeah. Who is this genius? I'm telling you. Yeah, it's it's really, it's it's a just a gem, Dave. It's such a beautiful book. 
Thank you. Yeah, really is. So, and you see on the cover there, uh, it, I mean, the, the book is uh, the five true things. Those are the five givens. Mm-hmm. But you see on the cover, it has lemons on the top <laughs> and then lemonade on the bottom. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, you're taking the five lemons that you were handed and we're turning them into lemonade. Yeah, true growth. Something salubrious, shall we say. You say of grace, once we understand that we're supported by powers beyond our ego, we see that having to be in control may not be in our best interest. We might upset the mighty plans that are afoot on our behalf. So I hear you kind of referring to the powers beyond our ego a couple of different ways. In some ways, you'll talk about it like we have to be careful of magical thinking, that there's just this this kindly one sitting in a throne who rewards the, you know, the good and punishes the bad that that assures the the righteous um an easy passage through this realm and it's just not so but you're also talking about like a force that has a kind of will mighty plans that are afoot on our behalf love to hear you say more about that there i'm referring to grace um one of my books is called the power of grace And by grace, I mean the gift dimension of life, the little or big events and people and experiences that come along and help us on our path, even though we didn't put in effort for this to happen, nor did we merit it. So. Uh, The word grace is used in theology to refer to the special help that you get from the divine, from God, that moves you along on the path, and you didn't have to be deserving of it. It's just given to everybody, although you can say no to it. So I'm a believer that there's such a thing as grace. And when we say yes to the way things are, we open up the channel of grace. So, for instance, in the Lord's Prayer, we have, Thy will be done. Thy will is the given of life. So, Thy will be done is actually saying the unconditional yes to the givens of life as they are. That ushers in a new kind of kingdom, a new way of living that isn't based on domination and submission. It's um, a way of living that is full of equality and mutual caring and compassion. And the way to move in that direction isn't only by saying yes to what is, or doing spiritual practices, we are receiving help from sources beyond ourselves. Joseph Campbell calls these the assisting forces that come to help the hero on his or her journey. And all of us, at one time or another, have had this experience. 
Sometimes, for instance, it comes in the form of a strange coincidence, which Jung calls synchronicity. Uh, some, something happens just by coincidence, not by being not caused by you. And that coincidence that things came together in a certain timing gives you a wonderful opportunity. That's grace. That's what's meant by grace. Grace is just the Latin word for free gift, as in gratis, mm -hmm. but it also means thanks, as in gratitude. And so the whole practice is in the word. I receive a gift and I say thanks. Another form of humility, because I'm acknowledging that the powers at work in my life are not all based on my efforts. I think it's fair to say, at least in my experience, that grace visits much more often when I am in a place of humility. When I, as you said, am surrendering to the givens or present in this moment, when sort of my ego can just sit down for a second and relax. Like, but it takes a lot of trust. You know, it takes a lot of trust that I could give the guards the night off that for a minute I can relax my defenses and allow for universal resources, you know, to, as you say, to become more defenseless and resourceful is, is really the path. How do we trust more? Like, what would you say to the listeners out there who've been hurt so deeply by life's changes? How do you ask them to trust again? Well, first of all, um, it's understandable if you're having trouble test trusting, yeah. given your experience. And secondly, no one could say yes to the givens of life unless at some level he or she was trusting that these are indeed the ingredients of human growth and that every one of these offers us an opportunity for spiritual practice. That makes them not bad, and we're looking at them in a whole new way. We're saying, um, this is what the ladder looks like. Ladder that, you know, gives you the possibility of ascension, ascension away from the illusions, the magical thinking, the ego mindset into this other way of being in the world. What is this other way? I'm here as one who has um, fully surrendered to reality and am noticing that when I do this, I find a new kind of serenity, not the serenity that's based on being in full control and now I'm all set. This is the serenity based on, oh, now I am so aligned to the way things are that I feel a new balance coming into my life that is making me feel more comfortable here on the planet and even activating the part of me that wants to be of service to it. 
another paradox. Another paradox. I'm flashing to a memory of being caught in a heavy downpour at one point. And my first instinct was to run, right? It's to hunch my shoulders and pull the collar up over my ears as if I were going to keep them dry. And to think that if I could just sprint in some direction that I wouldn't get wet. And then it quickly became just ridiculous that I, I wasn't getting any drier. I was just getting tired. Um, I was just running. Uh, and so I stopped and I began to walk. I'd kind of run out of energy to sprint uh, and realized I'm going to be soaked no matter what. And so I relaxed. And for a little while, at least I wasn't running so hard and that was better. And then I started to notice something weird, which was, well, now I'm soaking wet. And if I stop tensing up around that, it's beautiful. The rain was warm and the sound was extraordinary. And it felt kind of like this natural event that I was just sort of swept up in, like nature had really come to pay attention for a moment, you know, it was so present with me. And it became then beautiful. And I think of in some ways, maybe the sur surrender to the givens a little like that. At first, there's at least, well, you're a lot less tired if you're not fighting for control all the time. But then you start to notice, actually, there was something really lovely about whatever that was. I'm thinking of my wife losing her mom earlier this year, and it was as sweet and beautiful a death as I've ever seen or heard of. It was just beautiful and heartbreaking as could be. But when we stopped fighting to save her life, when clearly that wasn't what was going to happen, and then stopped fighting to not feel sad, which was equally pointless, <laughs> Then it just became like about the love exchange in that in those few remaining weeks and it was so, so poignant. I mean, so deeply memorable um, and touching all the way through, you know? Mm. Maybe that's, I guess, what we're kind of all working with is examples like that. Mm -hmm. And you were all saying yes to the ending rather than fighting tooth and nail against something that was, shall we say, bound to happen. Yeah. Even yes to the pain of it. I like your singing in the rain story also. <laughs> right. Well, you talk about, you know, refuges that at, at some level it it's worth acknowledging these givens can really hurt. They're they're hard to take. Uh and that there's a, a useful distinction between resources versus distractions. You know, when we go for refuge, when we go for some kind of relief, um, some of those are much better for us than others. Can you talk about those? Uh, I think in that section, I was referring to the refuges that uh, are offered by the conventional way of looking at religion, you know, where you reverse all the all the givens and say, well, none of this matters because there's something else at work that dulls the impact of these triggering events. But the healthy resource is, first of all, the yes. And secondly, the now what? And third, what am I called to do that's part of the yes, now, what? Yeah. So I would see those as the three uh, wonderful resources in this 
particular practice. Yeah. It may be helpful for a, a lot of listeners also just to hear this. I I found this in your book as you were speaking. You you talked about some refuges are distractions and some resources. Part of adult spirituality is having the wisdom to know the difference. Drugs distract. A hike in nature grants a resource. Positive resourceful refuges are relationships, friendships, art, nature, music, creativity, career, entertainment, meditation, and a variety of non-hurtful ways we have of fulfilling our own deepest longings. Mm -hmm. What's the problem with the distractions? Why not, you know, watch that eighth episode of of the Netflix show that we're binging this week? Uh, Like, (laughs) why... Why not drink a fifth beer? Like what? What? No, there's nothing wrong with any of that. It's just that um, when it comes to the the givens, we're looking for a way to hold them in our experience rather than run away from them or blame God or man for them. Mm. But it's always okay to do something that makes us feel good and, and is not harmful uh, temporarily. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to so me. So this isn't like a rigid approach. This is uh, very diaphanous, very, uh, well, it's expressed very beautifully by Virginia Woolf in her novel, The Waves. And, and I have this quote in the book. Month by month, things are losing their hardness. Even my body now lets the light through. That's going to be a more beautiful way of expressing what a exquisite what happens when we say yes. I think a big piece of what I hear you talking about as kind of our fundamental purpose, like when you say spiritual growth, you're really there's something you're talking about us growing toward, which really is very much about that capacity to express love. Um, I want to say in moments where love seems not to be, <laughs> right? Like if you look at Christ or Buddha or the Dalai Lama or King or Gandhi or St. Francis and on down the line, all of these teachers, really the enormous impact they had on the on the world was was to show love where very few of us would be able to find it. Mm. Yeah, or or show love where it doesn't seem to be deserved or earned. Yeah, yeah. And when you do that, you're grace-giving, because that's what grace is about. It's giving a gift when it hasn't been deserved or earned. Right. That's when the light starts shining through us. Yeah in itself has a kind of profound peace and joy to it. I think everybody knows that a little bit. We've had that experience at least a little. Yes. I'm glad you're saying that because I've noticed that I like myself more when I come from this spiritual style that we've been discussing. Yeah. It hasn't worked to make life easier or to change any givens, but it has worked to make me like myself more 
than I did before I found this path. And that's good enough for me. Right. Progress, not perfection, but progress indeed. I, there's a lovely line. You say, we are naive if we expect only integrity, peace, and love. We are lost if we cease to work for them with all our heart. Mm-hmm. Well, as you know, we're in, on this podcast, we're working to kind of get our arms around the elements of change, both the change we seek and the change that finds us, that are harder to grasp, um, that are not subject just to our will and intention. I wonder if there's anything else that occurs to you to share to contribute to that, that body of wisdom. We're hoping to continue to collect ideas and understanding, um, whether it's to summarize what we're talking about today or to add more. What is the secret to this change process and why is it so hard for us? Since the very first given is things change, then aligning ourselves to what's happening anyway is the path to growth. So we don't have to do anything regarding change. All we have to do is go with it since it is happening anyway. As you know, the, one of the uh, teachings of Buddhism is uh, that nothing is permanent. Everything is continually changing. And there's nothing you have to do. All you, the, the only proper courtesy is to say, yes, I'll go with that. Hmm. And that's from every wrinkle you see on your face in the morning mirror to all the things that happen to you that are so unwelcome because they bring suffering, loss of control, disloyalty, failed plans that we're saying to ourselves, well, oh, where in this is the opportunity for spiritual practice and healthy adult living? And since none of them will ever disappoint us, they will always offer the opportunity. Then, as Robert Frost says, Earth is the right place for love. Beautiful. I was thinking about you this morning, and I was thinking, well, we're going to have some guests on this podcast who generally are working on the change we seek, right? How do we affect change in our lives or in the world? And others who are working on, you know, how do we survive the change that comes and finds us? And for a moment, I thought primarily this book was about the latter. You know, there's nothing we need to do about change. It comes to us. We need to roll with it and find this, this more loving, unconditional yes to it. But then I realized that subtly, really, you're also in the first category, because what you're saying is that over a lifetime of this as a spiritual practice, you change. Yes. And that change makes you more apt to hear your calling. Hmm. This calling will have something to do 
with co-creating a world of justice, peace, and love. Hey, it's Pete again, checking in. I hope you got as much out of that conversation as I did. It's a lot. Oh, wait, I'm saying it wrong. As my daughter says, Dad, it's a lot. For me, at the very top of the list is this. Happiness is not a reward, and pain is not a punishment. What? Happiness is not a reward, and pain is not a punishment. I hear these things, and I think, good Lord, I have been doing this wrong for so long, right? Seriously, the the first person to get this tattooed on their body somewhere gets a shiny $50 gift card from me personally. You think I'm kidding. Get that tattoo and hit me up. Pictures will be posted in the show notes. Anyway, now you know Dave Rico. Next up, Dave is going to share with you an affirmations exercise that he calls on himself each day, stating his purpose and intention for the day ahead. Before I let Dave take over your headphones again, you want to be a part of a little change yourself? That's fantastic, because you can do just that at truestory.fm slash thechangeparadox. We love podcasts around here, but the hour you just listened to with Dave took many, many more hours of our motley team here to organize and record and edit and deliver to you. Your membership makes you a key part of the engine that is listener-supported podcasting. For just $5 a month, you can support the time we put into creating and producing this show. And just for members, I sit down with Dodge for a conversation about the interview each week that you can only access through your personal podcast feed once you sign up. We're calling those episodes Afterthoughts. It's like a, a podcast within a podcast, a chance for Dodge and me to have a conversation about their conversation. We share lessons learned and tools for integration, and we talk about how our lives are changing as a result of that conversation, and maybe new tattoos, probably not new tattoos, and of course we laugh along the way. We thank you for joining us on this journey, for your contributions, whatever it may be. And now I'll leave you with Dave Rico an affirmations exercise for setting your intention. I'd like to offer some affirmations, kind of aspirations also. And uh, these are ones that I myself use. The first one that you'll hear is what I use to start each day. Something about um, stating your spiritual purpose that helps it come true. So I'll be giving you a series of affirmations, uh, most of which are in the book, but you might want to listen to these more than once. I think you'll see how it all comes together. May I say yes to everything that happens to me today as an opportunity to love more and fear less. 
May I show all the love I have here, now, and all the time. May I show compassion to everyone who suffers, including me. May I be joyful about the good things that happen to any of us. May I respond with equanimity, serenity, and courage to all that happens to me. I have a unique destiny to display here and now the timeless design of love that is in me. This is why I was given a lifetime. I trust that whatever happens to me is part of how my destiny of love unfolds. I trust that nothing that happens to me can cancel my capacity to go on loving. I say yes to the fact that there will never be only love or only peace on this planet, but there can be more love than before I got here and more peace because I stayed here. Something we know not what is always and everywhere lovingly at work we know not how to make this world more than it is now to make all of us more than we are yet one sacred heart never apart